18. So Luke 8, beginning at verse 4. And we have in this passage that I'm going to read the parable of the sower, or some have called it the parable of the soils. So let's start at verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, and others had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to you, It has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. And the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity." But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And then let's drop down to verse 18. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Amen. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these particular words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the truths that they convey to us about hearing your word, and we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to take heed how we hear your word this morning, and then also to instruct us by your word to always take heed how we hear your word. We need, to that end, the help of your Holy Spirit, both for me to preach and for all of us to hear the way we ought Grant us, therefore, that chief of all blessings in this hour, for we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, I finished preaching through the Gospel of Luke last Lord's Day morning, 
And I'm not going back now to highlight a number of passages from Luke, and I'm not even this morning going to expound this passage, the parable of the sower, but it does contain uh, the basic theme of the message I want to preach this morning, especially there in the first part of verse 18, therefore take heed how you hear. I've had sitting on my desk for several months now this card, and you will not be able to read it, I'm sure, even though we have a good camera here. Uh, This card is from our tract rack in the church lobby. And maybe you've seen it, and maybe you've picked one up and used it yourself. It's entitled, Preparation for Hearing the Word of God Preached. And it also explains that it's from a a series of sermons of Pastor Martin from several years ago. And the sermon series was entitled, Take Heed How You Hear, which is directly from the words of our Lord Jesus in verse 18 of Luke chapter 8, the last verse I read. From time to time, I take this uh, little outline here. It's just a four-point outline with a number of Scripture texts following each point. I take this outline and I read over it before I open my Bible in the morning because even though I'm not hearing the Word per se uh, with my ears from someone who's preaching it to me, I am hearing the Word in a sense because I'm reading the Word and thinking about the Word. I'm taking the Word in, not in exactly the same way we do when we hear the Word of God preached, but exactly the way we do when we read the Word of God. And in either case, we need to hear the Word of God in a careful way. We need to take heed how we hear. And I thought it would be good for us in our present circumstances, and by that I mean whether we continue for a number of weeks to hear the Word of God from our own living rooms or family rooms or kitchens or whatever it may be in our home where we sit with our computers and follow the sermon on live stream, or whether we come together again soon and have to undergo a change again, even though it's a change back to something that is more familiar to us, I thought it would be good for us to have a message that's outlined here in this little card And so my topic is the same as the heading on this card, Preparation for Hearing the Word of God Preached. And when it says preparation for hearing the Word of God preached, it means it's going to focus on things you do before you come to hear the Word of God preached. The sermon uh, was, was mentioned to me by Uh, One of my fellow pastors, just within the last couple days after I said earlier this week I wanted to preach this one message on this subject, he told me that the larger series, Take Heed How You Hear, was a 16-message series from Pastor Martin. But we're just focusing this morning on this one section of it, preparation for hearing the Word of God preached. So it's not about everything you do while you're sitting hearing, although I'll touch on some of those things as well. But it's things you might do, for instance, on Saturday night when you know you're going to be hearing the Word of God the next day, or things that you do on Sunday morning, 
sometime between the time you wake up and the time you get in your car to come to church. Or maybe it's something you do in your car on the way to church, preparing your mind and heart for hearing the Word of God. Or even after you've come and you've come into the building, the auditorium, and you're sitting there in your pew, or maybe in the case of being at home and worshiping in your prayer closet, wherever you spend time, in prayer to God and reading your word prior to turning on your live stream on your computer and listening to the word of God at home. Preparation for hearing the word of God preached. And this little card has four directions, and that's what my sermon has this morning. I'm just taking Pastor Martin's directions. I didn't go back and listen to the sermons because I thought with the um, very clear titles of each of the four sections and the numerous Scripture passages, I won't use every single one of them, but most of them I am going to use, and I've only added one or two here or there to supplement what was already on this card. So four directions for us to prepare to hear the Word of God. And these are things that should... constantly be with us and in our minds and in our practice as we prepare to hear God's Word preached. The first direction is this, consciously cultivate a fresh awareness that you will be confronted with the very words of the living God. Consciously cultivate a fresh awareness that you will be confronted with the very words of the living God. That's what happens every time you come to hear a sermon or you sit at home and hear a sermon. You are being confronted with the very words of the living God. So let's begin with a text that makes that reality very plain. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It's a text we especially think of and use in preaching or teaching when we come to the subject of the Word of God what the Bible teaches about the Scriptures. And this text is very explicit about how we should look at the Word of God written. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, in righteousness. And the translation here that we have in the New King James Version is a common translation. It goes back to the translation of the original New King James, of the King James Version, or what's called the Authorized Version, back to the early 17th century. And it is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's not a good translation. It's not a good translation in part because of the way that that English phrase can be interpreted, given by inspiration of God, and not a good translation either because it's not a literal translation of the original language, the Greek. The literal translation, which is just one word in the original, the literal translation would be all Scripture is God-breathed. There's one word in the Greek, That is the word for God and the word for breath joined together. And that's the best translation. 
in that it's literal and in that it it portrays exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. You should look at the written Word of God as the very words of God. And when those words are faithfully preached, as Paul said just a few verses down in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the Word. When those words are faithfully preached, we should regard that preaching as the very Word of God. We should judge that preaching by the written word of God itself, as Paul said the Bereans did, and he called them noble because of it. But we should take the word preached, like the word written, as the word of God. It is God-breathed. Or look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 2. And verse 13, here the apostle tells the Thessalonian Christians, those who did take the word of God preached very seriously, they went back to the word of God read and they checked it, they saw, they looked at it to see if the things Paul was saying were so. When they found that they were, they received it as the truth of God. And here Paul, in thanking God for them and their attitude and their faith, um, says this. Excuse me one second. Yes, okay. I want 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I said 2 Thessalonians. I want 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It's making the point that I was just saying, even though I was looking at 2 Thessalonians 2.13 at the moment. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Thanking God for what he's done in the Thessalonians. And he gives his explanation. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, so they heard the word preached, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So Paul says, if we preached accurately the Word of God, you are right to receive it, and to receive it not just as the Word of men, not just as the Word of a good man. They might have thought Paul was a good man. He demonstrated that by his behavior. Not just the Word of a man who is well-informed, maybe Paul's intellectual abilities were evident to them and that he wasn't someone who was just spouting whatever came into his mind, but he was studied and he had done his homework about what the scriptures say. They weren't judging it that way as simply the word of men, even if they had a high regard for the man. They regarded it as something else, not the word of men, but the word of the living God. And Paul was thanking God that they regarded it that way, and he was giving them uh, indirectly a commendation there because that's the way they received the word of God. Now, of course, you know this. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, certainly if you've been a member of this church for any length of time, you know that, that that's how we regard the Scriptures as the Word of God, and that's why we have such a high regard for the Word of God preached, because we regard it as the Word of God and not the Word of men. 
If you regarded the things I were saying as simply the products of my own mind, you would be right, and I believe that this church would simply do this, you would be right to run me out of this pulpit and not welcome me back if I didn't repent. And that's a good thing, and I'm thankful for it. You know that it's the Word of God. But notice how it was stated in the title of this heading. Consciously cultivate a fresh awareness that you will be confronted with the very words of the living God. We need a fresh awareness because we all forget over time, even the most basic of truths, if we don't forget them intellectually, because you probably will all would be able to answer correctly in a quiz, is the Word of God we hear preached on Sunday morning and Sunday evening to be regarded as the very Word of God? You'd be able to give the right answer to that, a yes answer. But practically, we do forget and we become careless, and we become irreverent, even if not in our outward demeanor, yet in our inward attitude. Especially, I think that can happen after a season of worshiping from our own family rooms or living rooms. And that's one of the reasons that I decided to preach this particular message today. Turn also with me back to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. As we prepare to hear the Word of God, we should remind ourselves, we should ask God to remind us in a peculiar way that we are going to be confronted when we come to hear preaching with the very words of God Himself. Here we have Jesus' words, Matthew 4 verse 4. When Satan had tempted him in the desert, in verse 3, he, his temptation in particular was this, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And listen to Jesus' answer, which is very familiar to you. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so when we hear the word preached, or if in the case of the Old Testament, like with Moses, he heard the word spoken by God from heaven directly to him, so that he was to write it to the people of God, and then when he wrote it down, in whatever form the word of God comes from heaven to us, it is to be regarded as the word of God. And that's how Jesus spoke about it, the words that proceed from the mouth of God. And I want you to turn back there to... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Those are the words of God and the words of Moses that Jesus was repeating, was quoting in Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8 verses 3 and 4. Here's where these words come from, the end of verse 3. God is speaking through Moses to the people. And he says, so God humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna. He's telling about the way God treated them during the time of their wandering and traveling through the desert. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord." 
Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. And so that was relevant to the Jews at the time as they were making their way through the desert, that they were sustained by the Word of God, and that was relevant to Jesus in the desert after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. It was relevant, this first point that we find in these words, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It means that God's Word sustains our very lives. God's Word upholds us. Ultimately, the food we eat doesn't uphold us. In one sense, it's necessary for us. If we stop eating, in all likelihood, we'll die. The food is necessary, but it's simply a means in God's hands. It's God who keeps us alive, and specifically, it's God's Word that keeps us alive. It kept the Jews alive in the desert. That's why their garments didn't wear out, and their foot didn't swell, though normally... Wandering through the desert for 40 years would cause those things to happen. God caused it to go otherwise. His word sustained them. His word of providence, like it says in Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus Christ upholds all things by the power of his word. That was relevant for Jesus and for the Jews. But there's another focus of this statement that man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the other focus is this, and it's my focus this morning, that when it states that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, it tells us that our lives are preserved through our obedience to the words of God. That's an emphasis, obviously, in this passage. In verse 1 of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, it says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Verse 2, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then after the two verses I read at first, verses 3 and 4, we have this emphasis again in verses 5 and 6, this emphasis on the importance of keeping God's commandments. Verse 5, so you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So as the Jews were wandering through the desert, which was it? What was God telling them here? That they should bear in mind that God sustains them by his word, not simply by the food they eat? Or is it that their lives will be preserved through their obedience to every word of God that they hear? Which is it? Well, it's not an either or. It's both. He's reminding them that he miraculously sustained their lives by his word, not by the manna ultimately, but also that because of the power of God's word and the authority of his word, not only could he uphold their lives by just speaking words, but also whatever word he speaks that they heard from Moses or that Moses wrote for them, they had better be sure to obey it. 
And that's exactly how it worked for Jesus when he was tempted in the desert as well, wasn't it? Jesus could say to Satan two things with those words that he quoted. Number one, I don't need that stone turned into bread for my life to be kept alive. God does it by the power of his word. And the second thing he meant was this. Satan, there is no way I'm going to obey you because I have words from God that tell me I should obey only him and his word. And therein is my safety And through that path will I find life. And brethren, that's how we need to look at the Word of God. These are the things that come to us not as mere suggestions or things that we can either take or leave and it will be fine either way. We need to say it this way. When we read God's Word in His Word or hear His Word faithfully preached, that is not just the Word of men. Deuteronomy is not just the Word of Moses. And the whole Bible is not just the Word of a vast collection of different men over a long period of time, it is all the Word of God, the Word of the living God. And therefore we see in Isaiah 66 what the proper, what the godly attitude towards God's, towards God's Word is when we hear it preached or when we read it in our Bibles. It's Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2, another well-known text. And these are all really well-known texts. I'll start out with verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. Or as other passages, uh, other English Bibles say, this one will I esteem. In other words, God is going to look favorably on this kind of person, on this kind of man. And then he tells us who that is. Of him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. We are to tremble at God's word. That's the attitude we should have. And some people like to look at that and say, well, that's, that's for the Old Testament. That's for the age when God spoke from Mount Sinai with the thunder and the lightning and the dark cloud on the mountain and so on and warned everybody not to come near the mountain. But that's not for us in this New Testament age. Well, yes, it is. You see that exact point in a passage like Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews 12 and verse 25. Let's look at it together. Hebrews 12, verse 25. In the preceding verses, God speaks to us through the writer of the book of Hebrews by the work of the Holy Spirit in kind of the language I was just speaking about. It it talks about the way God spoke on Mount Sinai to Moses and the people of Israel is they left Egypt in the days of the Old Testament. And now we read in verse 25 of Hebrews 12, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. 
In other words, Paul's writing to his readers there in the first century, over a thousand years later, hundreds of years later from the events on Mount Sinai. And he says, see that you who are reading my words do not refuse him who speaks. In other words, is still speaking from heaven today through the word of God written and through the word of God preached. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Why? For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, the Jews in the desert, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. In other words, God is still speaking today. It's the same God. In fact, the writer of the, to the Hebrews' point is that God is speaking more clearly. And therefore, we have an even greater obligation to receive His Word with fear and trembling today. We need to be conscious that when God's Word is preached, we are confronted with the very words of the living God. And this is the point. You should think this way about coming to hear the Word of God preached. You should think, when I go into church on Sunday morning and on Sunday evening and I hear the Word of God preached, there are going to be no more important words that I hear all week long. Not from my wife or my husband, not from my little child, no matter how upset or fearful that child is about any given thing in his life. Not from your boss on Monday morning at the big meeting that's going to tell us what's going to happen in the next three weeks because of the coronavirus considerations. Or the biggest contract your company has ever had in its history. The words your boss says about that are nothing compared to the words you hear on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening when God's Word is proclaimed. There are no more important words you will hear in the week. There is arguably no more important thing you will do in the week than come to hear the Word of God preached. And therefore, your attitude should be and your prayer should be, Lord, help me to bear this truth in mind as I go to hear your Word on this coming Lord's... Excuse me coming Lord's Day morning. That is the way that I need to approach the preaching of the Word. Paul tells me as a preacher back in 1-2 Timothy chapter 4, we were just in that uh, ballpark a few minutes ago, he says in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, after that statement about all Scripture being God-breathed, he says, I charge you therefore, meaning Timothy, The preacher, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. In other words, as a preacher, I need to come conscious first and foremost, not of all the people that are in front of me in the pews, which right now happens to be two, but I need to be conscious, conscious in a far greater way of someone else, and that is my God. Paul says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. In other words, the thing that best helps a preacher to preach well is if he's conscious 
not of the people in the pews first and foremost, but of God whom he serves and whose word he's preaching. In fact, maybe that's the best part of the answer that a number of people have asked me. How can you preach with earnestness when you don't have people sitting in front of you? And maybe that is the answer. And I'm going to say, I hope that is the answer. I'm not distracted to think of others so much besides God when I'm preaching. That's how I should approach the preaching of the Word, and that is the way you should approach the hearing of it. As if it is only you and God in the room. And I know that as a matter of fact, that would help most hearers of the Word of God. Because I'm sure you, as well as I, have a temptation to think when certain things are stated from the pulpit, I hope so-and-so is listening to that. Sometimes you might even glance in that person's direction. We should be thinking, I need to hear this. And God, help me to hear it as your word to me. Your first and foremost concern when you are listening to a sermon is not to provide a critique of the sermon you hear. Not to the preacher, not to other people, not in your own mind even. That is not to be your first and foremost concern. And neither is it to be even to enjoy the preaching of, your, of the Word. I hope you do. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I don't really hope you will until it cuts to the heart first and brings you to repentance and faith in Christ. Your first and foremost business when you hear the Word of God is to receive it as the Word of God and then to do it. Which means that if that's going to happen, you should tremble at it, as we read in Isaiah 66. And you should tremble at it because it is the very Word of God. We heard last week from Luke 24 about the risen and ascended Christ. It would be good for every one of us to envision Him directing our worship every Lord's Day. And to envision Him as preaching to us every Lord's Day. We sing in the beginning of one of our hymns, Blessed Jesus, at thy word. In other words, because his word commands us to do it. Blessed Jesus, at thy word, we are gathered all to hear thee. Brethren, may that be our attitude. May we consciously cultivate a fresh awareness that we will be confronted with the very words of the living God. Secondly, consciously repudiate by fresh repentance all that would hinder your joyful reception and effective assimilation of the Word of God. Consciously repudiate everything that would hinder your receiving the Word of God. Repudiate means disown it. If it's a sinful thought in your heart, disown it. Reject it. Get rid of it. Condemn it as sinful. Repudiate everything that would hinder you from hearing the Word of God. And as the, as the heading says here, that would hinder your joyful reception of the Word of God. It speaks about a joyful reception in that parable of the sower, doesn't it? It talks about people who initially received the Word of God with joy. That was the rocky ground hearers. 
But then they didn't last very long because the rocky ground uh, choked out the word and it prevented it from getting depth. There was not enough good soil. There were rocks beneath. It was good for people to receive the word, but it wasn't good that they didn't have roots or it's the same thing with the thorny ground. There might be an initial reception But there wasn't effective assimilation, really taking the Word of God into the heart, into the innermost recesses of the heart, so that it changes the soul, that the Word of God cleanses and renews and makes whole and brings someone to obedience. That's what effective assimilation is is demonstrated by, obedience to the Word of God. Sins will, in fact, hinder the reception of the Word of God and the assimilation of the Word of God. So we have to consciously repudiate by fresh repentance everything that would hinder our joyful reception and effective assimilation of the Word of God. Let's turn to James 1, verse 21. James 1, verse 21 and 20. We'll eventually read verse 22, but first of all, verse 21. James writes, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we want to receive the word, the word of God. It's able to save our souls, like we read in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Verse 17 there. And here it says we are to receive that word. And if we're going to do that, how do we start out? Verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Those are descriptions of sinful attitudes, sinful conduct. We've got to get rid of those things. That's the idea here. Repudiate them by fresh repentance. Because sin tolerated by us or committed by us or just um, thought about by us can hinder our hearing the Word of God. So lay aside all filthiness. There's repudiating the sin so that you can receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. There's a connection here. James 1.18 says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Then it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we know that's true just in normal communication with people. If we don't listen to them, we're sinning against them, we're not being considerate toward them. And if we're just sitting there angry with them, wanting to snap back at them as soon as they finish their sentence, or maybe even before they're halfway through their sentence, that's unkind. But remember the context here. James mentions the Word of God in verse 18 that brought us forth. And it's in that setting, he says, you be, should be swift to hear, slow to speak. Again, he goes right to verse 20, 21. After that statement in verse 20 about the wrath of man not producing the righteousness of God, and what's the subject there again? 
lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, this whole text, verse 19 included, be swift to hear and slow to speak, has to do especially with hearing the word of God. So you put away your sins, including don't be ready to answer back and complain every time you hear something preached you don't like. I hope that was your attitude this morning. Well, Pastor Smith said this about, what the, about our, obeying our, our leaders, but I wonder if Pastor Smith heard what the governor said last week, or I wonder if he's thought about it the way I have for the last four days, unending, and without thinking about anything else. Well, whether Pastor Smith read it or not, he knows what the Word of God says about what your attitude toward our leaders should be. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to talk back to God. An old Bible of my wife's from her youth, days of her youth, had in one of the leaves at the front of the leaves at the front of the Bible a quotation. And it said this, Either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that's true about your picking up the Bible in the morning. If you're going through a period of time in which you haven't been reading your Bible, it's not just busyness that keeps you from faithfulness in picking it up. It's sin. Whether the sin is carelessness, not governing your time and your life well and controlling yourself, or just laziness, whatever it is, it's sin. That's true about your picking up the Bible every morning, and that's true about your rightly receiving the word preached in a church service. I'll give you an example. Let's say you had a fight with your spouse and you didn't make it right. Even if the fight began on Sunday morning and you didn't make it right before you left the house or when you were driving in your car to the church and you're seething against her and you're sitting there planning what you are going to say to her next time you get the opportunity to give her a piece of your mind and you are determined to hold on to your grudge do you think you are going to hear the Word of God the way you should? You are not. There's a similar passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I'm not going to take the time to turn us there because of the time. But there's a connection there, too. If you read it, you read uh, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and then you go on to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It mentions the Word of God, and then it talks about the way that we should be meek in the way we hear the Word of God. There's another passage. It's in Jeremiah chapter 4. Let's turn there. Jeremiah 4 and verse 3 that's relevant here. It's a passage that talks about breaking up the fallow ground. Jeremiah 4, verse 3, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. 
What's the point? The point is they need to be able to hear God's Word. They need to be able to receive the Word of God and listen to His words. And their heart is the ground, just like in the parable of the sower. And they need to break it up so that they'll be ready and in a posture in which they can hear His Word. That means they've got to put away sin. Fallow ground is ground that's been left for a while without being planted. And you can get all the weeds out of it that way as you work that ground before you plant again. And then the next thing you do is you break it up. You plow it. It's those things that make it ready to hear the Word of God. Well, it's the same imagery as you have in the parable of the sower. Our hearts are the ground. In the parable of the sower, it was the state of the soul or the heart that's represented by the different kinds of soil. And that's what determines, from a human standpoint, how the seed comes out. Whether there's good fruit or there's no fruit. What kind of soil are you? As you hear my words this morning, are you even a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Whatever your sins are, as you hear the Word of God, you should confess them to God. You should confess all your sins. Scripture says, if you do, God will forgive you your sins. He's a merciful God, and He'll forgive you through Jesus Christ. That's why Christ laid down His life on the cross. Believers should confess their sins as well, because every one of our sins, brethren, can keep us from hearing and profiting from the Word of God. Do you have sins that you have committed and you know it, and you don't want to confess, even as you sit and hear the Word of God? Do you have sins that are habits that even as a Christian... You admit you don't want to forsake in your heart of hearts. You know you don't. And also, what does happen while you're hearing the Word of God? How do you listen? Are there sins you often commit while hearing the Word? Wandering thoughts, dull minds and memories, sleepiness, fidgeting, boredom, Distracted attention, putting out of your mind the Word of God immediately after. And you might say, Pastor, you're blaming me for those things? Your problem is you think of those things as things that happen to you, not things for which you're responsible, at least in a large part. That's the way you should look at them. They're not just things that happen to you. They're things that you do and things you permit to be perpetuated in your life. So I ask, if you do experience those things, what happens then? Do you, is your attitude, well, I, what, they just happen. They happen to everyone. The question is, do you just give in to them or do you fight them? Many of us are concerned to conscientiously follow the advice of Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus' words where he said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that somebody has something against you, your brother has something against you, leave the gift at the altar. Go first and be reconciled to your brother. And we think, boy, before I go to church on Sunday, I've got to make that right with that brother. And you're right to think that way. In fact, some of us even think of that more so when we come to the Lord's Supper. 
once a month and we say, oh, I don't want to eat and drink judgment on myself. I've got something against that brother or, or he has something against me. I better go talk to him before we have the Lord's Supper tonight. That's good that you think that way. You should think that way about God and the state of your heart and the sins you have that might prevent your hearing the Word of God every single Lord's Day, morning and evening. Think about it when you wake up and open your Bible as well. What sins are there potentially even in my heart that might prevent me from hearing the Word of God? Conscientiously repudiate by fresh repentance all that would hinder your joyful reception of the Word of God. Third, consciously cultivate a meek and eager disposition of heart toward the Word which you will hear. We read that in James chapter 1, verse 21 already, that we are to receive with meekness the implanted Word that is able to save our souls. We should cultivate a meek disposition. Meek means patient and mild. doesn't mean in a, a bad way, in a cowardly way, in a way that some people would call being milk toast. We're told that Jesus was meek and lowly of heart. He wasn't afraid of people. He wasn't afraid of anything. Feared God. That was it for him. We are to be like Jesus. Patient and mild. Not inclined to anger or resentment. Especially when we're hearing the word of God. Our sin does resent that our sin is exposed. Our sin resents that our sin is pressed. It's a sore spot. Don't put pressure on it. But we are to receive the word with meekness, knowing it's God's word, not arguing against it, not resisting it. Turn to Psalm 25, verses 8 to 10. Psalm 25, verses 8 to 10. David says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. What a merciful God. He teaches the likes of us the truths of his word, how to live, who he is, how to love him and know him. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimony. So according to James 1 and according to Psalm 25, humility and meekness are vital graces for us if we're going to profit from the Word of God. Do you want God to teach you on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon? Do you want Him to teach you when you open your Bible every day? Then here's one of the first things you need. As James says, meekness. As David says, humility. The consciousness that you are a sinner. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 66, verse 2, you need a contrite heart. Consciousness that you're a sinner and you come to God not with your mouth flapping about what you think is right for your life, but with your hand over your mouth and saying, Lord, you teach me. I can't teach myself. 
We need meekness. God has committed himself, Psalm 25, verses 8 and 9, to teach those who have and cultivate a meek and a humble spirit. But then secondly, eagerness we need. Consciously cultivate a meek and eager disposition of heart toward the word which you will hear. Let's look at Psalm 119, first of all, verse 20. Psalm 119, verse 20. The writer says, My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. And verse 131, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commands. We could multiply verses right in this psalm of this kind of statement where the, the psalmist, psalmist just says he's hungering and thirsting for the word of God. Is that your attitude? If any Christian does not have an attitude in which he longs for the word of God, especially on a Sunday morning, there's something wrong with him. I'm not saying on any given Sunday morning, every one of us doesn't struggle with that. But one of the reasons that we talk about the importance of perseverance in the Christian life is that as a mature Christian, you learn that you keep coming no matter how you feel on Sunday morning. I'm not saying if you have COVID-19, you come to the building. Or some other disease or sickness that someone else might get, or that's going to keep you from being able to hear the Word of God. But I'm saying if it's just a bad attitude, or if it's just sin in your life, you say, I know where I need to be, even though I feel like David, that my heart is downcast. So I'm going to talk to myself like David. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so discomfited within me? Hope in God. And go hear the word of God. But our prevailing disposition, brethren, as Christians, should be one of eagerness to hear the word of God. As newborn babes, Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, we are to desire the pure milk of the word. The Bereans came to hear Paul. How? It said, with all readiness. It says in Proverbs 27, verse 7, to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Are you hungry for the Word of God? If you are, then even the bitter things, like when the text that's being preached tramples right on your sins, those areas of sin in your life that you need to deal with, it'll still be sweet to you. Because you'll say with David that you're thankful for the righteous smiting you when you need to be smitten. It's an election year, and it made me think about elections as I was preparing this message. When it comes to elections, I like to say, you know what? We get what we deserve in this country. After every election, people complain on one side or the other. And I always like to say, well, we get what we deserve. And that's true. We deserve worse than we get. Isn't our faith in some ways like that, brethren? James also said, besides saying that you have to hear the word with meekness, he also said, you have not because you ask not. Do you cry out to God for this attitude of meekness and eagerness? 
In Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, You will find the Lord your God if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. I've been a preacher now for 30 years. How many times have I listened to people? And I don't resent it because that's my calling as a pastor. Listen to people who have said they don't get anything out of the preaching lately. As if it's something wrong with the preaching. Now, as a sinner, and not certainly not a perfect man, and definitely not a perfect preacher, I'm happy to take the blame. But I like Philip Henry's words. He said, I bless God, and he meant when the preacher's not even doing his job right, I bless God I can find honey in a carcass. Blame yourself first if there's not that eagerness and readiness to hear the Word of God. Because when it's not there, you're probably not going to profit from the Word. Be the preacher never so good. Now maybe if he says exactly what you want to hear on that day, you might in your mind profit. But the Bible doesn't really call that a good condition to be in. Let's come with eagerness, brethren. And let's remember there's a price to pay for profiting from the Word that you ask of God and you seek Him with all your heart. Ultimately, it's free. The blessings are all free. Without money and without price, you can buy milk and wine, God says in Isaiah 55. Consciously cultivate a meek and eager disposition of heart toward the word which you will hear. And then fourthly and finally, consciously cultivate a disposition of dependence upon the Holy Spirit for His ministry as you anticipate the ministry of the word. I'm just going to take a couple of minutes for this because I recently preached uh, from Luke 24, 49 about the Spirit and especially related to this point. Remember in Luke 24, 45, Jesus said in that upper room, it says he opened, Jesus didn't say it, but Luke wrote it, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And I said at that time, that is the work of the Spirit of God. It was then for the apostles. It is now for us. Every time we come to hear the Word of God preached, And you need to understand that unless the Spirit of God is working, that will not be your experience, that God opens your mind to understand the Scriptures. You need the Spirit of God, as it says in John 16, verse 13, to lead us into all the truth. That was the promise to the apostles. God would lead them into all the truth they needed to put in the New Testament and that they needed to preach to the world. He will lead us into all the truth that's already in that word that we need to understand with our minds. We need to have this attitude and we need to have this prayer. Open my eyes, O God. Psalm 119, verse 18 that I may see wondrous things from your law. We need to have that attitude that we see at the beginning of Proverbs 2, verses 3 to 6, where it says you're to seek for wisdom as for silver. We need to do that when we come to the house of God. That's the price, seeking for it as you seek for silver or gold. It's a high price. It's hard work. 
But brethren, the truth we can receive from the Word of God is way underpriced, even if you work your fingers to the bone and wear yourself out looking for it in comparison to what it buys you. May God give us that attitude. It's a task that's too high for me, I need to say. I'm going to go into the house of God and hear God himself speak, and I expect to profit from it, but it's a task that's too high for me. With my feeble mind as a mere creature and with my sinful mind as a, and heart as a sinner before God. And if left to myself, I will not profit from this exercise. Brethren, pray every Lord's Day then, Remembering Jesus' words, if you then being evil know how to be how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, brethren, for the remaining time we worship at home, let's not let the conveniences of worshiping at home become distractions for us. Let's not let the comforts of worshiping at home be distractions for us. Let's not let the familiarity of our setting as we worship from home be distractions for us. There's something about going into the church auditorium that helps you get into a worshiping mindset. You're lacking that right now. That's one benefit we've lacked for the last couple of months. Don't let your circumstances prevent you from being good hearers of the Word of God. And then for worshiping at the church building when we return, let's take pains starting now to make sure that no bad habits we may have developed over the recent months are brought with us when we return. Let's see that every week, whether where you are now or here again, we prepare ourselves for hearing the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and ask that you would take these things we've heard today and write them on our hearts. Help us to prepare this day and this evening to hear the word of God, perhaps in ways that we haven't for some time. But Father, we ask that you would so fill us with your Holy Spirit that we will change for good, meaning for the better, and meeting for the rest of our days on this earth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.